Awesome. Who's having a good time? Yeah, yeah. How many Japanese people in the building tonight? Yeah, yeah. How many Georgians? No, sorry, sorry. Anyhow, anyhow, it's a good thing. How many people enjoy? How many people enjoying the Rugby World Cup? Watch some games. Oh, I like it. It's a bit of fun. It's a bit of fun. It's probably not going to change the world, but it's fun, eh? It's good to it's good to it's good celebration. It's good celebration. Anyway, um, well, why don't you grab your Bibles and uh, we're gonna uh, get into them a little bit. If you've got a Bible, open it up. Uh, we're gonna read a bit of a Bible story in a minute. And if you're here this morning, uh, then, then uh, we're gonna be taking this morning's message and just going a bit further with it. If you weren't here this morning, it doesn't matter uh, because you'll be able to pick it up. No worries. Um, but uh, we what we're doing is we're wrapping up our series, God's at War. How many people have been to some of it or all of it? Give us a wave. Give me a wave. If you've enjoyed it, yes. Well, it's, how many people found it challenging? Yeah. Uh, how many people have read the book, bought the book, or read the book, begun reading the book? Good on you, Jono. Yeah, Ari. Okay. Well, can I encourage you? Uh, it's a real good idea to read books. Now, everyone's like, oh, it's I thought I heard someone telling me that it's you know really hard to read books. Ruddy, ruddy, ruddy. Uh, how many people would like to be really smart? Okay. If you didn't put your hand up. Uh, let's, I'll ask the question again. How many people uh, would like to live the big life that God's designed for them? Yeah, now the reality is God's got a big life for you to live out because He's re- we've been recreated in Christ Jesus. The grace of God that's impacted into our life, uh, we know that it's we're saved by grace. We're not saved by our works. We're not saved by how awesome we are. We're not saved by how gifted we are. We're just saved by the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ that comes into our world. We're not saved by our family or our education or our intelligence. None of those things are the active ingredient in our life. The active ingredient is the grace of God that impacts our world because we can receive, because we received the grace of God. We realized our sin. We repented of our sin and Jesus set us free, right? That's how it works. That's how it works. So often people think, I'm not smart because I, I, my family is this, my education is that, I'm not really a very good reader. Do you know, if you've got a Spotify premium account, you should cancel it. You should cancel your Spotify premium account because the Spotify free account is not that much worse. The ads are usually a little bit of fun. They're not that often a... They're not that bad. You can play sweet playlists. Me and me and Harris were doing a road trip the other day. Had to listen to Justin Bieber playlist. Uh, and there are better playlists than that, right? But what you should do is you should instead of your Spotify premium account. Correct me if I'm, I'm wrong, Jono. A better investment would be to take that account premium premium account cost and buy an Audible account. It's about the same amount of money, but with Audible, you can buy a free audio book from Amazon and listen to it on your smartphone for free on a monthly basis. But some of, one of the things you can buy, for one month I bought on my Audible account, I bought a 27-hour lecture series on world history. It's A, it's made me a more interesting conversationalist. Among my peer group, maybe not you, but among my peer group, I'm now a more interesting conversationalist. Number two, it's improved my understanding of Scripture. Number three, it was something to do in the summer holidays, listening to 27 hours of lectures when I was jogging or whatever. Now, so often people say, oh, I'm not a very good reader. Well, listen to it. Well, that's, I can't, uh, audio books are really expensive. If you've got a Spotify or a premium account, I cancel it. And then you can download books on anything you want. All of the Christian classics are on there. They're real cheap. They're easy to access. And you can become who God's called you to be. Um, if you're not a very good reader, what you should do is you just make a decision to read 10 pages of a good book every single day. Like that's old wisdom. 10 pages of uh, uh, one of the world's greatest industrialists, Robert Carnegie, one of his assistants, wrote uh, the, one of the first self-help books called Think and Grow Rich. I think it's called that, Think and Grow Rich. And um, he said that, read 10 pages a day of a good book for your whole life. Uh, read 10 pages a day. Just get a, get a book and read 10 pages a day. The good thing about that, if you only read 10 pages a day, the book lasts a long time and you don't have to spend this much money on so many books, right? If, if, how many people do find books expensive? I think some of my friends find books expensive, so what they do is they borrow my books and don't return them. That's another option for you as well. Uh, well, um, we've been talking about gods at war, and, and the, tonight, today I want to just bring it together a little bit, and I want to talk about probably one of the more, uh, a pretty important area in terms of idolatry. 
We've talked about sex and love. We've talked about uh, money. We could talk about power. These are different things that we build sometimes into our hearts as um, personal idols. See, an idol is any good thing that we make into an ultimate thing. So we take a good thing like love, and instead of just love, enjoying romantic love, we put it up there and say, this is the thing that's going to fulfill me and complete me. Now, as soon as you do that, you've made it an ultimate thing. Once you make something an ultimate thing, then you start sacrificing other good things for this thing that you've made ultimate. So you sacrifice your friendships, you sacrifice money, you sacrifice your integrity, you sacrifice your relationship with Jesus for this one thing that you've lifted up above all the other created things, right? I'm not saying love is not good. I'm saying it is good. It's not God. As soon as you make it a God thing, you're saying, oh, this is going to give me things that only God can give you. Only God can fulfill you. Only God can completely, only God can tell you who you are, only God can deal with your self-esteem issues, only God can fix the rejection problems in your heart. A girlfriend can't do that. You're just going to become a needy boyfriend, right? You're going to be someone that she writes to a magazine chat, return things about. I've got this boyfriend. Uh, you will be that guy because you've said, if only I had this girlfriend, then I will feel good about myself, Right? You don't. You got to understand that other people can make you feel good about yourself, and a girlfriend has the power to do that to make you feel good about yourself. But equally so, they have the power to make you feel very bad about yourself. Right? Are you going to throw them away then? Well, that's not how relationships work, is it? But if you've made it a god, then you will have to throw her away then because she's not doing for you what you want. Do, 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 do. One of the funny things. Um, that's interesting. There's, a, this, there's an interesting dynamic that's become more and more visible in our world, uh, in our cultures and stuff, is the idea of honor killings. Have you heard of honor killings? It's a pretty uncomfortable thing to talk about in church, but we, we actually had in our Auckland office buildings, like five levels, and uh, Equivalence Church is only one level, there was a, there was a murder on the level three uh, earlier this year, and, and it was one of these honor killings. And, and if you think about it, it's, it's, for us, it's just insane. Like, it's insane. Right, so someone in the family, so someone in the family does something to dishonor the family. So someone else in the family kills that person. Well, see, in my family, one of the things that would be most dishonorable would be murder. Do you know what I mean? Like, how does this, how does this insanely dishonoring thing restore honor to the family? Nearly every time, murder is far more dishonorable in every culture, far more dishonorable than whatever it is that this person who apparently brought dishonor to the family, whatever they're accused of, is usually far less serious, far less severe, far less evil than this, this evil act of murdering your own family member. Now, see, what's going on in a situation like that? The Bible says this in Proverbs chapter 4, that we need to guard our heart. Guard our heart. And this, this is one of those passages in the Bible that's translated more ways than more ways than anyone who's everyone who reads it translates it a different way. It says multiple different things. It says guard your heart, protect your heart, guard your heart because it affects everything you do. Isn't that funny? The Bible doesn't say guard your head because your head affects everything you do. Do you know what? Your head doesn't affect everything you do. Do you know what your head mainly just affects? Your head mainly just affects how you think. But if you analyze your behavior in your life, a lot of what you do doesn't reflect what you think. Right? Most of your behavior, all of your behavior, Proverbs chapter 4 would say, is flowing out of what's going on inside of your heart. And we've got to guard our heart because once something gets in there, it can affect everything we do. If we, if we have an idol in our heart, that idol is beginning to affect everything we do. It's moving us in directions we don't want to go. We're, we're doing things we don't want to do. You've all, you, everyone in the room's experienced doing something. You have do something that the day before you repented of. And you honestly repented. You truthfully repented. You truly said in your head and you thought to yourself, oh, I never want to do that again. Right, But you did it the next day because your thinking had changed and you repented, but it takes more the effort than we think. It takes more time than we think. It's a bigger process than we think to shift the things that are going on in our heart. What allows someone to kill somebody else and think that they're doing the right thing 
is because of what they believe in their heart. Their families become an idol more important than human life, and they act out what they believe in their heart. How do you know you've been swallowed by a whale? Is a really important question. Uh, how do you know you've been swallowed by a whale? So the, the most obvious thing might be the smell, but the, the, uh, the, the, the second most, I think one of the real obvious things that you probably don't realize if you've ever imagined yourself in the belly of a whale, uh, the most obvious thing that you probably forgot is that it's dark. You know you've been swallowed by a whale when everything goes dark. Everything's gone dark. Big chances are you've been swallowed by a whale. Second thing is this. Once you're inside the whale, now the whale decides where you're going. Inside a whale, there are not reins for you to drive the whale. We're going this way. We're going that way. Inside the whale, there's just other rotting things. Right? So the third thing is, so number one, it goes dark. Number two, the whale now decides where you're going. You don't get to decide. Number three, you start to smell dead and you start to smell rotten. You can get swallowed by a financial whale to the point where you're not opening bills anymore. So now you don't know how much you owe to who you owe. Now the whale is going, you're in the dark, you're going in a direction, and you, as soon as anyone talks about money, you smell dead. You smell rotten. You say rotten things about money. You got swallowed by a financial well. You can get swallowed by exams. <gasps> Whether you pass or not, you could still be swallowed by the whale of exams. Everything's gone dark. You forgot why you're studying. You, you, where are we going? What are we doing? Uh, you say things you don't want to say. You behave in a way you don't want to behave. You kick the cat. These, this, you've been swallowed by a whale. You're going in a direction you don't want to go. You don't even know where you're going. And whenever anyone says something, like, hey, man, you, how you going? How's life? You say rotten, stinky things. And everyone's like, what's the smell? You can get swallowed by your angry boss. <gasps> now it's gone dark. Anytime someone mentions what you can get swallowed in relationships, I'm not apologizing until she apologizes. I'm not apologizing until he apologizes. Well, happy times. The two most stubborn people in the universe are now not talking to each other. That's not going to last long. Right? The reality is that's dark and it's going where you do not want it to go because you just got swallowed by an emotional whale. I'm not apologizing. I'm not forgiving. I'm not releasing. Now, when we, when we think about Jonah, I don't know if we often think about idols. We know Jonah got swallowed by the whale. You know I was going to preach about Jonah. No one in the whole history of church has mentioned whales without also going on to preach about Jonah, right? With the possible exception of uh, Jonah's early sermons, which were ecological in nature. Um, am I right, Jono? Jono used to work at the Department of Conservation, and I am a right-wing activist. Uh, anyhow... Grab your Bible, turn to the book of Jonah. It's in here somewhere. I marked it this morning. I've since moved my rib on. What, anyone know the name of that thing? It's got a name, eh? The red thing? That's the Samoan term for it. Also, that sounds more like the West Auckland term. I'm in Joel. How many people know Joel is almost Jonah, but it's not the same scripture? Micah, Jonah, Micah. What's before Jonah, though? Amos. Joel is before Jonah. Amos, Obadiah, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, other books, Revelation. <laughs> okay. Uh, in the book of Jonah, we've got this. It's a cool story. How many people know the story? I'll, 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 uh, I'll, thank you. I'll, t I'll tell it. Ah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Jonah is this prophet. He's a big time prophet. He's the real deal. He's a prophet in Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel, about 580 or 800. Let me get it from the Bible here. It's 700 BC, right? So it's towards the middle of the northern kingdom. It's an apostate kingdom. They think they're still serving God, but all of their behaviors are really are become very political and power orientated. That's where you've got King Ahab and Jezebel, these all northern kingdom characters. Jonah's in that mix, right? And God speaks to Jonah in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. And God says to Jonah, go to Nineveh. Nineveh is the capital city of the the Assyrian Empire. It's a capital city of 12,000. Now, that would be the, the city itself, like the citadel inside the walled city was a city of 12,000. Outside of that would be much bigger, right? 
Without modern sanitation, cities couldn't grow much bigger than that. City of 12,000, Jonah gets a simple instruction. Go to Nineveh, there it is up there. Announce my judgment against them. Now that's, that's bread and butter for an Old Testament prophet. That's what they did best. Judgment was there. That's their bread and butter. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. So Jonah's got a simple message. Go to a place, deliver this message. I'm going to judge them because of how wicked they are, right? He's a servant of God, right? This is what he does. He's got political influence. He's got spiritual influence. He's a prophet. Prophets in the New Testament, that's our era, is every Christian. Because the Holy Spirit comes upon the whole church in Acts chapter 2. So we're all prophets. In the Old Testament, there's just a prophet each generation that God calls. So Jonah is special. He's spiritually special. He's gifted. He's a leader. He's influential. He's got good friends, right? And God gives him this message. But check out Jonah chapter 1, Jonah chapter uh, verse 1, verse 2. He's a servant of God. But by verse 3, everything goes weird. Jonah got up and went in the other direction. How many people know that that's not, that's not really sensible? Because Jonah's a prophet. It doesn't say Jonah was sort of a special needs kid and God said, go to Nineveh, and he got confused. It doesn't say Jonah was not good with details. Jonah's, Jonah had run out of credit, couldn't use Google, Google Maps, was trying to get to Nineveh, went the wrong way. This says Jonah got up and deliberately goes in the opposite direction. Look at this. This is Jonah the prophet. He's a follower of God. He knows about God. He's going to try and get away from God. Okay, so who's God? Creator. He's a few things. He's all. He's all this. He's all that. He's all powerful. He's all knowing. He's always present. In a modern context, we understand, as in Colossians says, that every that the whole universe is held together by the word of his power. Every atom, every subatomic particle is held in place by God himself. Where are you going to go? Where are you going to go? Oh, I'll just turn my phone off. They can't track me. How many people know that there's private satellites? Hey, Harris. There's private satellites going to track you anyway, right? He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish, this coastal Spain. He bought a ticket and he went on board hoping to escape from the Lord. Look at that. He's hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. When you're doing something completely stupid, you've got to understand there's something going on in your heart. Have you, have you ever had that feeling? Have you ever been in a conversation where someone's trying to tell you you're stupid? But even as they explain it and draw a diagram of it, you can't see it until later. Then you, you, Right now, you think about it, you think, man, that's embarrassing. Anyone? Have you ever been trying to explain to someone, let's say someone's fallen in love, but you're, one of your friends has fallen in with, love with some girl or some guy who's a loser, right? And you're trying to explain to them, right? Have you ever been trying to do that? And you're drawing the diagram, and you're telling what you've heard, you're telling what you've seen, right? And they're just like, no. Because you try, you're arguing with someone's idol. You're arguing with someone's idol. He goes in the completely in the other direction. Story moves on, uh, and uh, Maddie, you're just going to have to go with me because I'm changing it a little bit from this one. The story goes on. He gets on this boat. They go out into the water, and there's a massive storm on the Mediterranean. Storms blow up really quickly in the Mediterranean because of the the way the weather systems work. Right? We all know that, don't we? Yeah, they were uh, they were they were because you've got the, the the land and the hot desert continent, the, you know, obvious, right? And we won't go into the details because that's all I know. The storm blows up really quickly. Jonah's on the boat. Jonah goes down below, and it says that he's asleep. I don't believe he is. I don't believe he is because when I'm trying to avoid a problem that I've created for myself, I pretend to be asleep as well. No, everything's fine. How are you? Fine. But you're asleep at the wheel of your own life. Wake up, Jonah. I'm sleeping. Jonah's asleep. Do you know what? Your problems won't go away. Do you know, and every problem that goes away by itself will always come back by itself as well. The issues don't disappear. Your junk won't go away. The things that right now are conflicting in your heart and you don't know why you don't believe, you don't know why you're not acting out the way, you don't know why your behavior doesn't match what you think. I want to tell you for a fact, it won't just go away if you pretend to be asleep. 
because God's gracious enough to send you a storm. And then uh, move, moving on, Jonah's this big storm, right? There's this big storm. He's asleep on the boat. And the ship's captain wakes him up. And Jonah has to pretend that he's waking up. Oh. And the ship's captain says this, pray to your God. Maybe he'll hear you. Because so all, all the ship, maybe all the sailors are all from different nations. They've all got different collections of gods, right? So the, let's pray. Let's all of us pray to as many gods as we know. Pray to you, pray to your God. You pray to your God where someone will hear us, right? It's like a general distress signal. Let's just pull it out there, right? Maybe someone's God's going to hear, and, and then God will save us, right? That's what the ship's captain, the heathen ship's captain says to Jonah. But if you've read the story, Jonah's obviously up on deck. There's all sorts of mayhem. They're throwing, they're throwing all the heavy cargo over to lighten the ship so that it will rise a bit higher so the waves don't come in as easily. Um, there's, there's mayhem, right? It's all going on on deck. They're throwing stuff off. And the sailors are like, we've got to find out what the problem is. And so they cast lots, which is a bit like drawing stores or rolling dice, to try and find out who is the person that the gods are after. Now, if you've read any ancient literature, Greek or Roman literature, the gods are always throwing storms onto the, they're always blowing up a storm to try and chase down Anesius or someone, right? And so they're like, there must be something like that. We've got to find who it is. And, and so they find out that it's Jonah. And then Jonah says to them this, yeah, it's me. I'm a Hebrew. I'm a servant of the Lord. But when he'd already, when, he, when they hired him, when he hired the boat, he said, I need a ticket on your boat to go to Tarshish because I'm trying to run away from the Lord. He actually explains that to them when he buys a ticket. And then it says, he says, I'm a servant of the Lord. And they said, but you told us you were trying to run away from him. So even the heathens, even the heathens in the story know that Jonah's behaving in a way that's completely stupid. If you're a servant of the Lord, why would you try and run away from the Lord? You're behaving in a way that's inconsistent with what your stated beliefs are. What's going on? And so Jonah does the only right, the only thing he can do. He says this, you're just going to have to throw me overboard. You're just going to have to throw me overboard. But you see, you, you've done the same thing. You've, you've, you've done the same thing. You've done the same moral stand. There's nothing else I can do. Just throw me overboard. It's heroic. It sounds heroic. There's nothing, there's nothing I can do about it. People say that about their, their debts all the time. There's nothing I can do about it. You know, you can. You can start paying your debts. Get your money organized. Sit down with someone, explain exactly where things are at. You know, one time we ran out of money. And we, once you, you know, when you're, a, when you're at university and you run out of money, it's like, oh, I have to wait for till some more money comes in and you can't eat. When you're a grown-up and you're running out of money, it's like now you're not paying your mortgage or your rent uh, or your power bills or whatever. So we, we ran out of money. Um, but we didn't have to just run out of cash. We'd also run out of all of our credit card limits, right? So we, like, we're at the point where you can't, we can't angle it anymore. We you know, use the credit card to pay the power bill, then you pay the power bill with the cash. And then you then you get some more money from selling the you know you sell a sell a dog and you get you know you work it all around. But then at some point it was like okay, now we've run out of money, right? And we we were like oh what can we do about it? And, and in the end I had this great idea. There was a guy who worked at the church because I was the youth pastor. The guy who works at the church organizing all the money for the whole church. I thought to myself, I wonder if he knows anything about money. He sits on the desk next to me. Do you know what I did? I said to him, I wonder if you could help me organize my personal finances. And he said, I'd love to do that. Just bring all your bank statements in and we'll work it out. Do you know what? It was the easiest thing I've ever done in terms of finding out how to make, how to make money work. But do you know what was the hardest thing I've ever had to do in terms of owning up to someone who was my peer that I don't know anything about this whole area of my life and I need someone to help me? Do you know what you normally do, though? You normally don't say to your workmate, can you help me figure out how to pay, sort out my money? You normally say, just throw me overboard. There's nothing I can do about it. For Jonah, there was nothing he could do except get thrown overboard, except the only other thing he could do was repent and do what God told him to do in the first place. People say this all the time. Well, we're just never going to your family for Christmas again. Well, you could do that. You could just cut yourself off from one whole side of the family. The other option would to be apologize, for, apologize to everyone for being such an asshole at Christmas. That would be your other option, wouldn't it? Would that be the other option? 
<laughs> write it in your notes. Write it. Don't laugh. Write it in your notes. Just apologize for being the jerk of Christmas. Well, no, no, no. Throw me overboard. No, just apologize. Throw me overboard. Just ask someone for forgiveness. Throw me overboard. Just ask somebody for help. No, throw me overboard. Just forgive them. Throw me overboard. Just talk. Open up a conversation. Just sort your crap out. No. What's going on? It's not in your head. These aren't issues in your head. You know when you can't figure it out in your head, it's because your heart is making the decisions. Do you know when you don't know what's going on? It's because it's all black. When everything smells like rotting fish and you don't know where you're going and you've got no control over yourself, it's because you've been swallowed by a whale. Why did you get swallowed by a whale? Because you didn't take the opportunities you had to front up and say, there's something weird going on in my life. I keep doing these things I don't want to be doing. I keep spending money I don't have. I keep saying things like <laughs> writing checks. I keep writing, my mouth keeps writing checks that my face can't pay for. Just stop. Jonah chose to be thrown overboard rather than stop being a jerk. Why was he being such a jerk? When Sunday school, they tell you that Jonah was really scared. Jonah, God told Jonah to go to Nineveh, but Jonah's really scared because in Nineveh they slap people with fish. That's what the VeggieTales movie says, right? Jonah's really scared to go to Nineveh because they're violent people, right? He's real scared, but then he, he gets thrown into the, the belly and he finds courage in the belly of the whale and then God sends him back to Nineveh and he does the right thing and it's awesome, right? That's not really, what's going on in Jonah's life is way more complex than that. See, Jonah is a political influence in Israel. He's a nationalistic Israelite and God sent him to go and speak to Nineveh the enemy, the evil empire, the oppressors, the world, them out there, the great unwashed, the unsaved. Jonah's job is to go and warn them of the judgment of God, but Jonah doesn't go, and we don't find out why until right at the end of the story. In the middle of the story in, in chapter 2, Jonah prays the most insane prayer that anyone prays in the Bible, except some of the Psalms. Everyone's like, their Psalms are lovely, but there's bits in the Psalms where David is praying things like, smash their teeth, break their face, right? <laughs> Those are the opening parts of the Psalms and the middle parts of the Psalms, and the Psalms always end with resolution. The reason we pray is not to tell God things he doesn't already know. Oh God, I want to let you know how, how horrible they were to me at work today. God was there. He knows that at least half the problem's yours. Right? Right? And the, just this is about the prayer. I cried out to the Lord. This is Jonah. He's in the belly of a whale. How did, remember, you've got to remember, as I read this prayer, remember how Jonah got into the sea. Right? Firstly, he, he got on a boat going away from God's plan. When the storm come, he wasn't even then prepared to repent. Ship's captain wakes him up says, pray to God. No, he's not going to repent. On, on the deck, the sailors all draw lots and it's him. He's still not going to repent. He says, just throw me overboard. I'd rather die than face up to the mistakes that I'm making. How many people know that Jonah's just like you and I, right? This is why you should write down your prayers or pray your prayers out loud. Because then you can process your thinking and you can hear your own heart. Unless you pray out loud, you can't hear what's going on in your heart. Or if you journal is another option where you can write down some stuff. I don't know how many times I've caught myself praying stupid prayers, but here's one that's got written in the Bible by Jonah himself. We, you know, he's just a gracious to do this for us, right? I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. Now that's a good little opening, right? Look at this. Verse 3, Jonah chapter 2. You threw me into the ocean depths. Hold, what? If I was going to be like, hey, 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 let's get the story straight. I didn't tell you to go anywhere near the ocean. I told you to go into the desert. It was your idea to go on a boat. You threw me into the ocean depths. Just trust me, if you're a pastor, you hear people say this all the time. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sunk down to the heart of the sea. What? He doesn't know anything about the sea. It's, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to anyone ever. Do you know what? Your life is not the worst life anyone's ever lived. 
the situation that you've put yourself in, the problems you've made yourself, are not the biggest problems in the room, right? It's not as bad as all that, and it wasn't God who did it. Wasn't God who did it, right? That's why you got to pray so you can catch yourself saying, the mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. <laughs> if I was God, I'd be like, okay. <laughs> Send me an email. I could ignore that, right? <laughs> then I said to the Lord, oh, Lord, you have driven me far from your presence. Have you ever said, God's so far away? Do you know what? Where's God? God's in Nineveh waiting for Jonah to arrive. God's sitting outside Nineveh. I'm saying, saying to Michael, Michael the archangel, did you tell him? Did you tell him today? He's supposed to be here today. You've driven me far. Do you know where God is? God's right where he told you to be. That's where he is. He's on the other side of forgiveness. He's on the other side of repentance. He's on the other side of open. He's at a place called open, repentant, holy, forgiven. Those are the places God lives. God isn't in. God's nowhere near unforgiveness, bitterness, jealousy, hatred, dying in the ocean. God's not there. God's in a place where He told you to go and He paid your fare to get there. You paid your own fare to the Valley of the Whale. He paid a bus ticket going the other direction, right? What do we say all the time? We say, I can't believe you're doing this to me, God. God's like, I can't believe you're doing that to yourself. And I can't believe you're blaming me. Right? How many people know that you have friends who do this? Put your hand up if you know someone. I know a guy. Or you, I, how many of you knew a, I know a guy who looks a lot like me, who's prayed prayers a lot like this. Right? As my life was slipping away, oh, the drama. I remember the Lord, and my now it's getting serious. My earnest prayer went out to you. Then he suddenly gets real in verse 8 and verse 9. This is, the, this is how the Psalms work. He says in verse 8, Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all of God's mercies. Well, he's realized that the fact that he knows the king and that he's got a political influence in Israel is not helping him now. How do you know you've been swallowed by a whale? It's gone black. You stink. And you don't know where you're going. Does it matter how cool your shoes are now? Well, at least I've got my new shoes. Does it matter who your girlfriend is? When you're being slowly digested in the internal system of a large mammal? <laughs> How's your self-esteem now? Right? Does it matter? Now suddenly you realize all your gods have failed you. Well, I've got, well, at least I've got my degree. Good, good, that's really awesome. When they cut open the whale, the degree will have dissolved as well. Right? Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all of God's mercies. The, in verse 9, he goes on, but I'll offer sacrifices to you. He's come. This is repentance. I'm going to offer the sacrifices to you, songs of praise. I'll fulfill all my vows. What was his vows? He'd sometime in his life, he said, God, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to make you the purpose of my existence. I'm going to make your word the center of my world, right? But he's been distracted by gods that are operating in his religious sect culture. He's been distracted by gods that are operating in all the world around him. Let, let, let me tell you this straight. I'm not influenced by how many people are in your church or my church or what any other church. Because salvation doesn't come through how many people are in the church. Salvation doesn't come from a bigger building. Some salvation's not going to come from a bigger sound system. Salvation doesn't come from great worship leading. Salvation doesn't come from good music. Salvation doesn't come from good preaching. Salvation doesn't come from good preaching. I spend a day a week making preaching good. Sometimes less because I just steal ideas from Jono. Well, it's not stealing. He's very generous. And he stole them from someone else. <laughs> he has this thing called Google. I don't know how it works. But, but here's the deal. Come on, in church we get all crazy. Oh, what are they? But what's that church believe? Do you know what? If long, as long as they believe Jesus, dear Jesus, let's just leave all the rest of the crap alone, right? 
Oh, how big is that church? Do you know what? It's not as big as the pastor says. That's all we know for sure. It's not as big as the pastor says, right? How many? How big is the church? Who knows? Who cares? If big churches change the world, the world will be changed now, right? One of the biggest churches in history was in the first century AD. 64, between 40 and 60,000 people in one church in Ephesus. Like that's the, in the context, it's ridiculously huge. Where's Ephesus now? Come on, the reality is the gospel that changes. It's the truth of Jesus. It's the reality of Jesus. Not what we believe about Jesus. It's the relationship we have with Him. Well, you can believe all the wrong things, but as long as you've opened your heart, you've repented, you've invited Him into the world, and you're trying to follow Him, you're going to be saved because of your relationship and trust in Jesus. doesn't matter what church you go to. doesn't matter what you believe. It's your relationship with Jesus. It's the gospel itself that makes a difference. Let's hope you're in a church that helps you follow Jesus. Let's hope you're hearing preaching that helps you follow Jesus. Let's hope that worship is about Jesus when you do it. And let's hope it's in tune, but it doesn't matter whether it is or not. It's Jesus that makes the difference in the world. We are not going to be a church that builds religious idols and makes everyone bow down to it. Right? Doesn't matter. Do you know, miracles won't save you. One of my favorite stories of miracles. Yeah, this is a bit of a perverse testimony. One of the... One of, Rana Bonke's one of the powerful Christians in the world. He's got a simple relationship with Jesus, and God's empowered him to change whole nations, right? Preaches to crowds of multiple millions in one time, right? He preached one service where over a million people responded to Jesus, recorded decisions in one meeting, right? One, at one place, he was preaching about the power of God. What he does is he preaches the gospel on a Friday night. On a Saturday, people get saved. On the Saturday, he preaches about the power of the Holy Spirit. People get baptized in the Holy Spirit. He goes to the next town. That's all he does. But on the Saturday, when he's preaching about the power of the Holy Spirit, miracles and signs and wonders, speaking in tongues, they sneak a dead person into church. I don't know how you do that, you know. Maybe, you know, certain churches I've been into, pretty easy probably. Uh, you know, it's a weekend at Bernie's type moment, you know. And they sneak him in. He's just, oh, they put him a hosting T-shirt. He looks like all the other hosts. They stash him. <laughs> oh, I've seen backing singers that I've wondered about. But anyway, they stashed him. <laughs> It's just a good joke, it had to be said. They stashed him under the, under the pulpit. It's a big, big stage, right? So it's a big outdoor stage. And they put the dead body under the pulpit where Rana Bukhi's going to preach. The guy is raised back to life. Within a year, he backslid. <laughs> Why? Because it's not about miracles. It's not about miracles. Do we want miracles? Yeah, miracles are a good thing. Miracles aren't God. Miracles aren't Jesus, are they? We want to speak in tongues. We want to prophesy. We want to see healings and miracles, signs and wonders. We want to see all those sorts of things. But we, don't, we know that those aren't going to change the world. It's Jesus himself that changes me. It's Jesus himself that changes our city. Now, Johnny has this moment, and he says this. Salvation comes... From the Lord alone. That's cool revelation, isn't it? But it didn't mean much for Jonah because we read on in the story, it gets crazier still. Jonah has the most inglorious preaching success you've ever seen. He preaches to the city for a number of days. Now, sermon preparation in the Old Testament was better than it is now, right? This was his sermon God's going to destroy the city. God's going to destroy the city. They went to the next town, next suburb. God's going to destroy the city. That's, that's how preaching preparation should be, right? I can just get there and say, God is love. Lunchtime, right there. God's going to destroy the city. God's going to destroy the city. He goes round and round and round, says that, right? And they all freak out. The whole nation hear him. The, whole, the, whole, the king, everyone else is like, we've got to do something about it. God's going to destroy the city. And they say to Jonah, what should we do to be saved? And Jonah makes up this big deal. God never told him. He just makes up this big deal. You've got to fast. Everyone's got to fast. You've got to call out in the name of George, the name of the Lord, not George, the Lord, right? <laughs> it's all psychology. It's all psychology. You've got to call out on the name of the Lord, right? And then he says, the king's got to fast and all the men, all the women, all the children. Can you try, imagine trying to make your children fast? 
Then it goes, it goes, and all the animals have to fast. Can you imagine trying to make your cat fast? Your cat will rip you up. Everyone, all the cat owners are like got legs covered in blood by day three of the fast. They can't move around the house with any freedom because they keep getting swiped by an angry, hungry cat. Right? And, and God relents. A whole city is saved. Now, in New Zealand, you'll get your name. If someone falls in the harbor and waves their hand about, they might not drown, but you dive in, you pull them in, you'll get your photo in the paper. I've done it. I saved a couple of people from a, from a drainage ditch behind the school when I was teaching. Got my, got my name in the paper, my photo behind, beside the stream. Jonah saves the lives of 12,000 people with a single sermon, five or six words long. God's going to destroy the city. And this is what he says to God. I knew it. I hate you, God. I'd rather be dead. What? Uh, hold on. He turns the whole fate of a nation around through his preaching. God uses him to save all these lives. And he says, I knew it. In Jonah chapter 4, verse 2 to 3, he says, he complained to the Lord. Didn't I say before I left home? I knew you'd do this, Lord. This is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you were a merciful, compassionate God, slow to get angry, filled with, I hate you, God, filled with unfailing love. You're so eager to repent and turn back from destroying people. Verse 3, just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. This is the ultimate Christian leader falling apart emotionally. Even though God is using him, it's not the way he wanted it. That wasn't the vision that I proclaimed at Vision Night. I'd rather be dead than look like a fool. Do you know what? I'd rather be alive than look like a fool because I look like a fool anyway. Right? The reality is Jonah's freaking out because he wished that these people would die. Now his whole ministry is in question because he prophesied destruction and God's not doing it. God's changed his mind and Jonah's like, now I'm undermined. What's everyone going to think at the prophet club? I can't show my face at, you know, the prophet McCollison club again. The reality is... Jonah's freaking out because he's got, a, he's got an idol in his heart called ministry success. Looking like a powerful Christian. Looking like I've got it together. Looking like I know what I'm doing. Looking like I'm competent. And suddenly he's looking stupid. 12,000 people are saved. Jonah looks stupid. Jonah's like, kill me now. And he storms out of the city. He makes a little campsite on the side of the hill. God's like, are you sure you want to be angry about this? He sits up on the campsite looking out over the city. He's just waiting for God to change his mind back again. He's wishing some brimstone and ash to fall from heaven and destroy the city. It's getting hot, but God makes a plant grow up overnight one night. Plant grows up overnight and it shades Jonah. See, that's the God we serve. Even when we're like out of it, he just cools us down. The grace of God gets extended to Jonah. See, here's this guy complaining that God's a forgiving God. But he's the one who was in the belly of the whale saying, please forgive me. Complaining that God's not destroying other people that he judges. Anyway, God sends a worm, eats the plant, and the plant dies. Jonah straight away. Oh, I'd rather be dead than live like this. Live like what? God didn't tell him to sit on the side of the hill and hope that the city is destroyed. That was his decision to live like that. And God just says this interesting question and finishes the whole book. Jonah, Jonah tells the story. Jonah wrote this. So Jonah got it in the end. He must have got it. Otherwise, why would he write this book about him being such a fool? No one writes a book about being an evil, stupid man unless they finally got it in the end. God says this, you feel so sorry about a little plant. You did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and it died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 12, sorry, 120, I've been saying 12,000 all day, but I need to read this extra zero. 120,000 people living in a spiritual darkness or the little asterisk says they don't know their left hand from their right hand. 
120,000 people who don't know what's going on. And God just says this. Well, first of all, He says not to mention all the animals, Jono. Not to mention all the animals. And God just says, shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? Do you know the next time in the Bible that you see a person asleep in a boat is Jesus. See, to save you, another Jonah's not going to do it. There's no pastor who can help you unless the pastor points you to Jesus. Because Jesus is this true Jonah. You know, Jesus had a tougher thing to do than Jonah. He didn't just go to Nineveh and risk death. He came to every Nineveh and died. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus wrestled with Tarshish or Nineveh. And He said, not, your, not my will, but yours be done. And see, for you, someone in spiritual darkness, swallowed by a whale, Jesus paid the price so that you could be set free, so you could be spewed back out of the mouth of the whale, so you could fulfill your purpose, so you could be who God called you to be, so you could be set free from, from certain destruction. See, the reality is in this story, we can see ourselves in Jonah, this guy trying to follow God, but all confused with all these other gods in his heart, these religious notions about who God was and who God is, these idols. But we're really not Jonah in the story. We're really Ninevites. We don't, we don't really know what we're doing. But we can trust in Jesus. If we offer our heart, offer our life, invite Him into our world, and say, I'm going to trust in you, Jesus, to make a difference in my life. I'm going to trust in you to secure me in eternity. I'm going to trust in you that your sacrifice makes up the difference in my sin, that covers my sin. My favorite little word picture in the Bible is that the blood of Jesus washes us whiter than snow. I just always think, how can blood wash it and then you're white? Just a cool little mind bender. Because of Jesus' sacrifice, when we identify with Jesus, when we trust in Jesus, we stand before God washed completely clean. Not like real bright white shirts that our mum made us keep tidy and we couldn't spill spaghetti on, but actually washed clean. The Bible says that God takes our sin and He files it in a sea of His own forgetfulness. See, a God who knows everything is also powerful enough now, don't try and understand this, but He's also powerful enough to forget the sin that you bring before Him and repent of. I reckon that's amazing. I reckon that's cooler than any of the praise songs we'll ever sing. It's better than any sermon I'll ever preach. Doesn't matter what you're building, you're in, that still sounds good. There could be 800 seats, there could be 8,000 seats, still the most important thing you'll ever hear in any size building. The blood of Jesus washes us white in the snow. That God chooses to put our sin in the sea of His forgetfulness. Do you know the only person who remembers those bad things you did? Is you. Why don't you close your eyes back here? So we're really just going to pray. Firstly, I, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to Jesus. I don't know everybody here. and I don't know. And beyond that, I don't know where everyone, I don't know where you're at with Jesus. You could be on a boat heading for Tarshish in your heart. You could be in the belly of a whale, having made decision after decision to disregard what you knew God was saying. But right now, it doesn't matter where you are because we serve a God full of gracious kindness, full of unconditional love. And if right now you want to get your heart and your life right with God, you want to reconnect relationship with Him, either for the very first time or for whatever reason, maybe you've been running away from God, you can do that by praying a simple prayer. We close our services and equip us 
by praying this prayer every single week. And I want to give you the opportunity to pray this prayer with us. It's just a prayer acknowledging Jesus as God, asking Him to forgive sin and choosing to follow Him. If you're here tonight and you know you need to do that, just while everyone's got their heads bowed, their eyes closed, why don't you just lift your head, give me a wave and say, yeah, that's me. I want to pray that prayer tonight. I want to invite Jesus to be part of my world. I want my sin to be forgiven. When we pray this prayer, we guarantee ourselves a place in heaven when we die. We also guarantee ourselves a life in God's purpose again. If that's you, just shoot your hand up, give me a wave. Once I've seen your hand, you can put it back down and then we'll pray. I haven't seen anybody's hand, but I think we could pray some more. Is that all right? Just when you stand to your feet, lift your hands, open your heart. Just lift your hands, open your heart. One of the things I love about preaching uh, is there's actually a no-pressure game. I'm good at talking, but it doesn't matter how good you are at talking, does it? Preaching is a no-pressure game because it's about what the Holy Spirit's saying that's really important. So just open your heart to the Holy Spirit right now. He's just If there's stuff for you to deal with, He's just going to bring it to your mind right now. Maybe there's, there's behaviors you need to repent of. There's things you've done you need to say, God, I'm bringing this to you and I'm, I'm wanting to let it go. I'm wanting to, I acknowledge that it's wrong. Just lift your hands, open your heart and just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Maybe I really believe there's people that you need to forgive. There's some people you need to forgive. You need to let go of your judgments about them. Just lift your hands and as you have your hands open, almost just sense yourself releasing them from your judgments. Come on, God's the judge. As long as you make yourself the judge, you have to live up to your own judgments and you could never be as holy as you expect everyone else to be. So you put yourself in your own prison and your own judgments. If you can release those people that you're judging, then you'll find a release in your own spirit and in your own heart. So just say this, I forgive them, God. I just release them. Lord, I release those people from my judgment. Maybe it's family who have disappointed or offended you. Maybe it's a workmate or a boss who's, who's upset you. Maybe it's something that's happened a long time ago. Maybe it happened this morning. Just release it. Say, God, I wanted to move into freedom. Come on, don't, don't, don't let the storm turn into the deep sea, turn into the belly of the whale. Don't, don't allow yourself to go on and on and on that path until everything's black and you're going in the wrong direction. Oh, right now, God, we invite you, Holy Spirit, to just draw us back to Jesus. Lord, that we know that you're a God full of rich kindness, full of gracious love. And Lord, we open our hearts to you. Lord, God, we pray you'd speak to us. Where are those places that we need to let go? What are those things we need to release to you? We're just going to worship God for a bit. And just as you worship, what I want you to do is just understand this. If there's anything we can learn from the story of Jonah, is that issues in our heart take longer to change than we would like. Jonah thought he'd figured it out inside the whale. But by chapter 4, we realised he hadn't got it all together yet. Come on, it's not about getting it all together. It's about opening our heart to God, constantly allowing the Holy Spirit to work in our world. Just lift your hands, open your heart. Let's worship God, but just allow God to become preeminent in your heart. 